This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Awesome. So thanks, guys, for coming on the podcast, uh, Tim and John. Uh, from St. Louis, Missouri. It's good to have you here. Uh, maybe we can start by you guys just sort of explaining who you are, uh, what's your story, uh, what what your life is like these days. Yeah, that's always helpful to hear. John, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about your life? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have recently uh, become empty nested. I've been married for 28 years and just sent our last son off to college. And so that's a huge world of transition for my wife and I, and also transition from a church that we planted 20 years ago, moving from Texas to St. Louis to plant that church and was a a planting pastor and was there for 20 years. And God just sent us out from that place to to begin a new ministry, a new uh, season of life. So a lot of transitions going on in our life right now and uh, all good, but some of them obviously really also full of, uh, challenges and sadness and joys and all that kind of stuff that just come with sending and leaving and all of that. So that's kind of what's currently going on in my situation right now. Yeah, that's a lot of change. Yeah, ton of it. Uh, so 20 years, that's like you raised children to maturity while you're planting a church, which for me, that's encouraging. It's like, oh, that, that could happen. Uh, what feels more like emptiness, like leave it like stepping out of the church that you planted for 20 years or uh, your children leaving your house? Mm. Yeah, they're very similar. You know, you know, that's the way things are supposed to be just in God's economy that you send. That's Mm -hmm. one of those uh, theological convictions that not everybody gets to, but at some point God, I think convinces you that sending is just kind of who he is and what he's about, what we're about, even with your kids and people in the body of Christ, but it, it doesn't make it easy. Right. As a matter of fact, it's painful, all of it. Uh, if, if there's any relationship and uh, affection and love and all that, it gets difficult. And so they're both both very difficult. And I would say maybe leaving, I mean, obviously sending your kids is way more personally weird and good mm-hmm. and difficult and all the above. But the church thing was in a different way hard because cause I'm not getting to keep the father-son relationship the same with you do with your kids you're really mm-hmm. in more sense having to let go and let someone else step into that role um of leading and you know shepherding all those kind of things so there's more yeah. stepping away from and letting go of that yeah it's kind of amazing that god has designed your life to be that way in this season both being sent out of your church and then also sending your own children that's that's pretty special and I'm sure uh, draining and exciting and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, it is. What part of St. Louis is your church? Because I've been to St. Louis a handful of times. And one thing I know is that there are about 20 different kinds of parts of St. Louis. It's not <laughs> yeah. It's not all the same. So we're, we're in what's called St. Charles County, which uh, is connected up to St. Louis County, which is connected up to the city. So we're, we're a little bit out from the city center um an area called saint charles county that's awesome and uh tim tell us a little bit about yourself and and what god's leading you in these days 
Well, I'm the only church planter that's older than John. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's true. Uh, 24 years ago, while I was coaching college basketball, I got called to be a, a pastor and elder. I didn't know that at the time, but that's that's essentially what was going on. And then uh, 13 years ago, planted the first church in a kind of suburban, kind of rural setting in the Farmington, Missouri area. That church really thrived and, and did really well. We were, we were just kind of dumb. We didn't know the term, term church plant. We didn't know there were church planting networks like uh, the Soma family or uh, Acts 29. We just uh, knew that uh, much needed to be na- made in the name of Jesus hmm. and that we actually needed to pay attention to the Bible a little bit more. And so we just started meeting and it, and God responded and was very gracious to you with a, to us with a lot of exciting developments. Hmm. And then about uh, seven years ago, we uh, knew we needed to plant again, and we could send out some of the young elders, or we could send out the guy who was just empty nest, and uh, the move would be a little bit more natural to come back kind of close to where I grew up. And so we planted City on a Hill after meeting Acts 29 and after meeting the Soma family as a Soma church from day one. And so I've planted not knowing what I was doing and then planted kind of knowing what I was doing seven years ago with uh, City on a Hill, which is in Arnold, Missouri, first suburb south of St. Louis. And and uh, lots of interesting differences between planting a little bit of tractional and getting the gospel figured out into missional community and this one being all about missional community-based discipleship from day one. Hmm. And so lots of different experiences there and and uh, b- blessings both just the same and still very connected with the bridge, the first church, and we've planted, probably been a part of, I think, five other church plants since. And so just always sending, always, uh, there's you know some loss to sending a lot of folks out and sending yourself out and, and uh, all those things too. So exciting world though. Yeah, that is, that's really exciting. And yeah, even just thinking about St. Louis, uh, something that I know is it actually has this reputation of being a place where, yeah, there actually is a a phenomenal movement of the gospel happening, even though it's, it's basically one of those primary cities in the Midwest, uh, which we often think of as very churched. Uh, But, but what is God doing just as you guys, very veteran leaders uh, in the city, in that area, what is God doing in St. Louis and the surrounding area? Well, what I see is he formed a family here a long time ago of some church planters. I, I, I see a lot of love, a lot of brotherhood, a lot of, of saturation type of things happening where uh, we're all just here in St. Jefferson County are just as excited when a new church plant happens in St. Charles County or in the city. John's heading up a movement right now of uh, helping some guys get started in some deep urban areas with uh, strong church plants, and that's going really well. And there's rural church plants happening here because there's just a healthy environment here of we're not just here about the particular flock that we have in the current deal. That It's a much bigger picture than that. It's a much bigger kingdom than that, hmm. a brotherhood of love. Hmm. Uh, I was thinking uh, just a few days ago how I love uh, my national family uh, of people who uh, think like I do and and we process a lot of things together, but I really am blessed to have 
John very close, very blessed to have Mark Sigma very close. A lot of the, the guys who have been doing this for a while here that just love me really well and, and shepherd my heart really well. Hmm. And I think that just creates an environment where a lot of a lot of gospel movement can take place. And so then when you have something really special like training missional community or training DNA or training the kind of stuff that we get to do it kind of in the saturate world, then uh, folks just kind of respect that. And, and they might not take it all, you know, exactly like you do it, but they're respecting that. And they're going, I need to really pay attention to that. And, you know, I think you're telling me that because you love me. Yeah. So that's just really been a really healthy world. Yeah, that's awesome. Guy, would you add anything to that, John? Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> I would echo and say yes, yes, and yes, and amen, and amen. There's, there is an incredible amount of partnership going on here that is, I don't think it's more than any other place in the country. It's just unique. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's partnerships going on everywhere all across the country. It's just unique in the amount of uh, brotherhood and, and, uh, interconnectedness that that goes on with that partnership so very very thankful for that and as i'm i'm a part of hmm. acts 29 regional director so i get to see what's going on in acts 29 that church planning network all across the united states and also across the country and it's not again that there's anything super special going on here it's just unique and and very uh blessed to be a part of that for sure and get to just get to watch it happen yeah. You guys can tell me if this is real or not, but I saw online just to maybe talk to the uniqueness of St. Louis, but online I saw a picture and it was a billboard. It claimed to be in St. Louis, but it had a picture of Donald Trump on it. And then it said, making the gospel great again. And then it also had under it when the word became flesh. Is that real? Do you guys know if that's really a billboard in St. Louis? It is. I've seen it and I have no idea what it means, but I've seen it. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that just to me is like wow yeah and i think it just speaks a little bit to some of the evangelical confusion hmm. here in our part of the part of the world where maybe not as much as in the south like you you know i hang out with those southern guys a lot and that that would be pretty common there but it's just the idea that the gospel has american implications in it and it and eventually it does but that's not the basis you know so <laughs> right it's just a it's just a confused deal that got got way too emphasized on that billboard for sure. Yeah, <laughs> got a little overly. Yeah, uh, but I, yeah, I think that I was just in Dallas uh, doing some training, and there is this uniqueness of a place that has very amazing heritage when it comes to Christianity. So it, I I don't think there's any neat reason to like uh, disparage the, the rich heritage of many people being believers, uh, and there being many churches. Like we pray for that in Los Angeles. I mean, you guys pray for that in St. Louis, but, it, but there's this reality of, we haven't discipled people very much, which makes, I think, leading in churches kind of difficult, I would say maybe even more difficult in places like the Midwest and the South than places where there aren't like, people don't have any sort of frame of reference for church. Yeah, you're you're doing a lot of parenting. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of reparenting. Right. What does reparenting look like? So you just mentioned that we have not discipled very well for a long time, and so I spoke at a pastors' conference last week that was not the tribes that we kind of run in. 
nobody from Max 29, nobody from the Soma family was at this particular event. There were all kinds of folks there from all kinds of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I just ask a question. How many of you preach gospel centric that the cross is the centerpiece of every sermon that you give? Hmm. And it was shockingly few. And so the prophet in me wanted to rebuke that very loudly, but I uh, did not <laughs> for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of getting along for the day. But it, it, that's just an idea that you know you're reparenting that that you know at a lot of places it's good advice. A lot of places it's very political. We just mentioned that, and we are used to our tribes just being you know this is about the cross. This is about the gospel. It's about grace. Mm-hmm. And that's just not still not that way everywhere. And so we're, we're, we're reparenting folks to just be that, let alone what does your life look like on Monday as a missionary in your job? You know, that missional community life now is a whole new right. deal. Who, who are you being deeply transparent with? And beyond that, what Curtis Gilbert said yesterday at our conference, who are you being vulnerable with, you know, mm-hmm. with your life in the gospel? Those are distant things here because we still have a lot of, um, Secular sacred divide here, yeah, in the Midwest, and so reparenting is killing that, and saying all of life is sacred, and so mm-hmm. that, that's, that's just where it starts. I mean, that's just the surface of a very deep well there. I think, right, yeah, and that is that's kind of that's got to be a haunting reality for you too, as you pastor churches, uh, knowing that the people coming in might have been in church for decades or grew up in youth group, all of that, but they might be hearing the gospel message for the first time, which to me kind of feels like the ground zero for even gospel saturation in our country. I'll let John speak to that, but I think eight of our last 10 baptisms here at St. on a Hill have been folks with a Catholic background, and that's very mm-hmm. prominent here in our city, mm-hmm. huge Catholic influence. On a day-to-day basis now, they've they've gotten the gospel. They've been filled with the Spirit. They've been they've been regenerate, but they are still wor- working through penance like crazy on a constant basis. And it's just so natural that they they are not free from the idea that that they need to s- sanctify themselves and they need to work out their own forgiveness. <laughs> that Jesus' work on the cross was not quite sufficient because they're they're still working in a world of penance, I think. So, mm. you know, everything is different because you're reparenting yeah. in, those, in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. I would just add this to that, that what Tim said at the end there is like, there are some huge differences between the South and where we are in the Midwest. One, we are, we are not in the Bible belts. It is very much saturated with a God is mentality, but not a, evangelical mentality. I mean, like the evangelical Mm. mindset here is way in the minority. Depends on where you live for sure. Like you live in the right County and it, it can definitely fill that part of the County. But for the most part, there's a conservative mindset that has more to do with Catholicism and Lutheranism than it does evangelicalism, which are way different things. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a, it's not starting like, the coast do where you're starting from, is there a God? You're definitely starting. There is a God, right? But everybody's view of God is way different. Everybody's view of salvation is way mm. different. Everybody's view of redemption is way different. And so there's a, like Tim said, there's a reparenting deconstructing of a lot of things as, as you're constructing things for people. Even, mm. and I'm talking believers now as people come to Christ, there's a lot of deconstruction, like Tim said, that's going on while you're 
while you're constructing new ways of thought and identities and all that, there's also a lot of deconstructing of who God is and what he's about. Yeah. Hey, Brad, hey, Brad I have a question for you. Yeah, go for it. When you, when you hear John use the word, word evangelical there from your Portland, L.A., <laughs> West Coast mentality, what do you hear when you hear that word? Just yeah. what, How does that word strike you? Uh, that that word, um, yeah, I, it kind of makes me think of, uh, yeah, just a, a voting block. Yeah, or the Trump billboard. Or the Trump billboard, yeah, or Jerry Falwell. Um, junior, I guess now, but yeah, but I also, yeah, I can understand <laughs> the, the meaning, uh, which is something that we use a lot here too. It's like, there's, there's very few evangelical Christian churches in Los Angeles in the basin where most of the people live. But yeah, the, the term on the, on the streets is always pretty negative. Right. Yeah. Which is also true of uh, I think mainline churches here too. I think mainline churches in Los Angeles, which might be similar in St. Louis, more often than not reflect what I experience in evangelical churches in the South, which is very deep enculturation. You might not hear Jesus preached, but you will hear some good life lessons or some good ways to cope. Plus, you should vote this way, which is what I've, even in Portland, that's what I experienced often. So it's always, yeah, even when I was down in Texas this last weekend, experienced the same thing. It's like, oh, this is exactly what these other, <laughs> this is exactly what people uh, here in Los Angeles is just the exact opposite, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So an example of reparenting here would be if, if, if I have a covenant member who just flat gets after a political line on on social media that is trying to sway the idea that that it's not all about Jesus. You know, it is about Jesus plus uh, adherence to a particular political idea. Then we're going to have a meeting about that. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about that. Why that would be a confusing thing to post to people he's on mission to. Right. (laughs) We're saying Christ alone. And then your social media view is your old view of Christ plus being a Republican or whatever, whatever the particular line would be there. Yeah. And so we would, we would reparent that. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do it online back at him because that would be the same thing, but I would have a meeting. We'd call in and say, let me, let's talk about shepherding this and parenting this idea. So, Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I was actually having this conversation with someone earlier today when, you know, as leaders have this heart to see everyone in our church on God's mission, you know, like with people that they're pursuing, uh, with the community of saints around them, demonstrating the gospel through acts of service, acts of blessing, speaking the gospel with their mouths, like helping others grow up as being disciples. Like that's our vision. Yet most of the time, the people coming into our class, or our churches are like seventh graders showing up to their first organized sports thing, whether it's basketball or, or football in middle school, and they don't even know the fundamentals. And so that we're, we're talking about this game where they're like, you know, sharing the gospel with their neighbors, but they don't even know like where to find the gospel, how to see the gospel in their Bibles. Uh, that's like this huge gap. And so I'm sure you guys experience that as well. You know, how do you try to do that kind of parenting 
and have that patience leading people towards this this vision that we have, but allowing people the time to get there. Yeah, I'll just say this first thing and let Tim jump in there. I think the biggest heart change that's gone on in me lately is is not only believing that God is the one who saves, but God is the one who sanctifies. And mm-hmm. and that's easy to say, but it's a lot harder to live out as a pastor. You know, I've I've came to some kind of functional belief about God being the savior and God doing the saving, the calling, the saving and all that at some point, which frees you up a lot when you love your neighbor and actually share the actual words of the gospel that you, you don't feel like you can really screw it up. You just really are presenting uh, Christ and the message of life, death, resurrection. And so I'm, it's became a very secure place for me to know God saves. But at some point I was still trying to shape people into sanctification, if that makes sense. And so, you know, to answer your question, it's, it's really hard when you feel like you've got to do all the parenting of people, whether it's with your own kids or with everybody else's kids. I, I still have to speak the truth. I still have to deconstruct things. I still have to construct things. But hmm. there is a, definitely a desire in me to shake people into getting it as opposed to letting God have time with them and patience hmm. and repentance. And that's something I'm, I can say I'm beginning to walk in the middle of actually believing that. Hmm. That's huge. I think that uh, my experience is, is that you've got to be ready for both. Mm-hmm. I coached basketball and I coached in college. And so I was reparenting there because everybody thought they were new <laughs> and they knew what they were doing when they showed up. And we had to, we had to teach them how to actually play basketball instead of the AAU stuff they brought with them and all that. Hmm. I'm coaching in high school now. And we get, I had a kid walk into practice yesterday. He's six, six and, and uh, the whole coaching staff there's really excited he's there, but he has never caught a ball and pivoted. You know? <laughs> so we had we had to teach him how to catch and not travel, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I think you get both in the church now, where or we've become the Midwest is becoming more like the coast, and so we get some folks in that, uh, yeah, we're just saying the New Testament is where Jesus shows up. Mm-hmm. You got to start there, you know, and. And uh, but the the entire Old Testament was about him also, you know. So you got these fundamental things, right? And then you're reparenting that because the people that show up who've been in church their whole life may not know that the Old Testament's about Jesus. So they're they're shocked when we actually say, "Yeah, we're we're preaching the cross from Ecclesiastes, hmm. and it's not just wisdom advice. It's actually about Jesus." Hmm. You, you've got this weird world where you and you may have both of those people sitting in your missional community that you're actually hands-on shepherding or in your DNA group, you're actually hands-on shepherding. And so you're doing both at the same time. And so you got to become this versatile coach and shepherd, Hmm. I think in our culture now. And, and uh, it it can be fun though. I mean, we can think that's daunting. I think that can actually be fun. Yeah. To take that on as a, as a fun challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it's such an exciting time to be a, a pastor or an equipper of the saints. I think because you're not being asked to serve a slot on an assembly line. There's so much happening and there's so many different things that people need and ways that people are growing. It's so fun. And what John, and what John just said is we're actually going to let Jesus do the assembly mm-hmm. like that. He's going to stop trying to assembly, assemble the Christian sanctification himself and actually let the manufacturer of the, of the being yeah. do the, 
do the reparenting or the parenting, you know? So that's a, that's a novel thought. That's a wonderful novel thought. Yeah. And it's a, and I think that patience is so big because, and I want to ask you guys about your own experience, but we, you know, we go through like decades of transformation in our walk with Jesus. And then we look at our congregations a lot of times and want them to get it in eight weeks. And so um, one of the things, yeah, I want to ask you guys is what were some of those like conviction shifts? How did you get transformed into a person who sees the gospel at the center of everything and sees the mission of God in everything also? How, how did that change happen for you? Well, for me, uh, I didn't grow up in... I'm not talking about as a kid, but in my in my discipleship as a Christ follower, I didn't grow up in any in that kind of thought or or theology or teaching or discipleship uh, at all. And so I was probably thirty, uh, yeah, about thirty. The first time I really heard someone like preach grace and hmm. start unpacking that. Um, and not just as a means to a ticket to heaven, but all of that in the sense of that it implies and for God calling and saving and sanctifying and glorifying all of the above, like that what what grace is and how it operates and continues to operate in my life. And that was probably about thirty when it started. And so we planted a church at about thirty-three and I was growing in that after we planted the church. But it was it wasn't until, gosh, probably six years into the church plant that I really started getting around men that I could actually see that being lived out. And that's when the transition really took off because I wasn't just reading in books or reading from dead people, which has hugely been important in my <laughs> life. It's changed me. Yeah. I mean you know, Jonathan Edwards discipled me long before any person did, but yeah. living, but it, it goes to a new level when men start to walk beside you and ladies start to walk beside you that are actually living this out. And that didn't happen until about eight years into pastoring for me, but I got to hmm. be around and part of it through Acts 29. It was the first time I'd been around a whole group of guys that were not only living in this kind of discipleship and theology, but were actually uh, living it with me. And so it was a, mm. and a, and from there it was a process like it is for everybody, but it became a, a hugely life changing thing for my marriage, for my parenting, for my personal life mm. and much less for pastoring and, and preaching and all those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So some preaching of grace, some instruction from fathers before us, but then really like spending time with people, sharing life with, with fellow disciples that were, you know, spurring you onto that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. How about you? Tim? Yeah. So for me, uh, about 20 years ago, the spirit did a work where he pointed out to me that most of any church I'd ever heard, it was a very me centered deal. And so the reason that you turned to Jesus was that so you could stay out of hell mm. and, God started talking to me about that it was really much more about his glory and that and that everything that we did in terms of putting church together or all those things that while we were a huge object of his faith that he was revealing his glory of his of his goodness we were a huge object of his grace all of that was to make much of him 
And so I didn't have any terminology for that. I didn't, um, I didn't have anybody around me that was kind of being stirred to the same thing. And so running into basically all this group of people that I now do life with that were all saying the same thing about that was really important because I, I was frustrated because I was having all those feelings, but I didn't, I didn't know how to express it, how to talk about it. Hmm. And uh, so running into the new reformers, Keller and, I mean, I, I mean, I know we give the, and Jeff, and we'd give those guys a lot of credit for a lot of things, but but it's really so, so with me that I had already had all that stirred in me, and so theology and missiology and all kinds of things, all of a sudden, everything that I was feeling and reading in the Bible had teeth to it, hmm. terminology. I felt like I wasn't alone. Yeah. So all of a sudden, all this brotherhood came in. Met John. Hmm you know, just having a, a brother here close that was actually walking out those same things was, hmm. was really crucial for me. So, and now to say, I've got people inside this body of faith that are all going, yeah, we don't know exactly. We're still learning all that, but we agree, you know? So, so it's just a big deal. Yeah. That me centered everything, you know, you get everything was still about me, even though it appeared to be about Jesus. Hmm. I, I just watched people uh, thinking about heaven and then just living their life the way it was, you know, like I'm just going to struggle and try not to sin quite as much. And someday right. I'll go to heaven. And I just think we're all going to miss out on a whole bunch of abundant life in that deal. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so powerful just to hear Christ's pursuit of both of you. And then the, you know, the, the impact that has on others. Uh, you're also, you're both kind of, uh, leadership development uh, experts. Uh, maybe you don't put that <laughs> on your byline or whatnot, but you you both have developed leaders and churches that you've left. That you've been you both have been sent out of churches that you planted that you developed. Uh, you had leaders that you could trust it to, and you develop leaders all the time still, even now to plant more and more churches. As we talked about in the beginning, you're you're sending people a lot. How do you kind of create that or shepherd that sort of transformation that you just described uh, in the lives of leaders? Like, how have you guys gone about that as you train the next generations of of disciple makers? I, I think if we were going to do it like Jesus did it, uh, <laughs> we've got to walk with them, and we've got to model. That was that was something I noticed in the Bible back when God was making all those changes in me, I watched how Jesus made disciples and how he raised leaders. And it wasn't, Hey, I'll meet you at a building for one hour a week and we'll uh, do this really organized thing. It was messy. They walked into really uh, uncomfortable environments together. He would challenge them with difficult questions. They would stumble around and sin against him. Hmm. And, I didn't see that early. And then when I started seeing that actually happen, that's the way you got to raise leaders. You've got to do life with them. You got to give them a lot of time. Mm. I, I, I bet I, I, I don't know how much it's recorded that Jesus spent time praying to the father for them, mm. but I would think there was a lot of like turning them over to the power of the spirit, turning them over to the loving arms of the father. And so I don't know how good a job I've done of that, but I think if we were going to pay attention to how Jesus did it, it would be a good idea. 
that's my take. That's how I've tried to do it anyway. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's worked. I would echo and agree that with Tim. And I think the thing that I've seen Tim do, and I've seen guys that I respect and try to model this after is there's a lot of intentionality. There's a lot of, I mean, I think three or four things, intentionality, there's time for formality. And then there's time for the, you know, the organic piece, but you've got to be intentional to be organic. I mean, some people just want to be organic and there's no intentionality behind it. And right. And it's, and it never happens, you know? Um, and you know, it's what parents say they want to do. I just want to be organic with my kids. And I'm like, that's, a great, that's a great idea, but they're going to be 18 before you know it. And you've really not done much. Um, and so it takes both. And I mean, you've got to be intentional to be formal and organic. To have, mm-hmm. And Jesus sat his disciples down and said, you know, he taught them about prayer and he taught them about certain things. That's the formal piece. But the organic piece was was also very prevalent, like Tim said, but he was very intentional. So that would happen because he said, come follow me. He didn't just say, hey, maybe this will happen. He right. like actually called them away from their families and their jobs and everything. And so there's got to be an intentionality at the very beginning of all this for the organic and the formal. And, you know, there's there's things that that you and your own life have to set up and carve out time so that you can do it. Cause I, I think a lot of guys and girls that are helping shape leaders want to do this, but they don't, they don't function their They don't shape their, their time and their lives in such a way that they can. And so there's a lot of pastors that spend all of their time in gathering type situations, whether it's preaching or it's leading staff or elders and all this. And they really don't set aside a lot of time to really disciple people that they're going to reproduce and send out. They don't carve aside time to, you know, train up church planters or missionaries that are going to go across the ocean or missionaries going to go into their own neighborhood, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And they talk about it. They preach about it. That's just really hard to carve that time out. Not even just within yeah. your, your job, your job world, but also in your personal life. Are they going to need to come see how you do meals with your family and how you love your neighbors? And are they going to go to baseball games with you or whatever? Right. So, yeah, and you've got to carve those things out in such a way that you know you're very intentional about that being a part of who you are, and that means in order to do that, you, there's things you have to give up as a pastor. Yeah, you can't pre you can't preach every week and do that. You can't lead every single meeting mm-hmm. and do that. You you can't lead every discipleship gathering and do that. You've got to have other people doing that, even if it is not as great as you want it to be all the time. Hmm. Yeah, when I get when I give that stuff away, it gets better. Just so you know. So. <laughs> well, I think hey, that- hey, Brad, I, I do want to say this before you leave that um, my my failures in raising leaders have been letting go of somebody when they still needed me to love them while I was being really busy moving on to the next thing. Hmm. I would just say to anybody who has like a, a get things started apostolic type gifting. Hmm. Or high, yeah, high gifting with that. Just be careful because I have failed some people that I didn't hear from the spirit real clearly. Hey, that, that person that you just invested all that intentionality into still needs to know that you love them. Hmm. So I, if I just could just confess some sin, like to like the nation here on this podcast, it would be, <laughs> it would be that when I have failed some of those guys, some of those gals, it is, that's what it's been. I was too quick to move on to the next thing and didn't hear from the spirit. Hey, they still needed some love in some areas. Uh, and you, you just moved on too quickly there. So hmm. I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I am still kind of repenting to some of those 
mm-hmm. situation now and willing to do so, but yeah, I wish they didn't exist at all. Just if I could say that. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's even a, a telling piece of, yeah, Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples and most of our development plans are one year, once a week meetings. And then we think that we're good to go and we don't need to spend time with them anymore. Whereas Jesus spent three, like 24, seven years with his disciples. But he also didn't spend them with t- that time with all of the people. I think that's kind of yep. remarkable. Yeah. But I see, but I see Paul sending and then checking mm-hmm. deeply in love. Yeah. You know, he's sending, but he's checking deeply in love. He's not just checking, he's checking deeply in love. I would add to yeah. the, way, the way I read what he's doing. Yeah. And I think what you guys both spoke to too is not being able to, to juggle all the things that we traditionally put in the pastor's bucket also in order to make space for that. You both kind of talk like making space for, for discipling and investing in leaders. That's one of the things that I often hear the most is, well, I don't, you know, like I don't have time to meet up with guys or invite them over to my home. Like I have to run this church. Um, How did you, how do both of you kind of balance the responsibilities of, you know, organizing and leading a church with the responsibilities of being a church, (laughs) of being the church, uh, making disciples? I'll go first. One of my attractions to uh, missional community-based church decentralizing the church is that you have to actually trust the leadership development that you're doing. And that would actually provide that for you. You know, if you're actually raising up guys who can preach a little bit, actually raising guys up who can counsel and shepherd, uh, and you're actually decentralizing the church, you can do that. If if you think you're the only one who can preach or you're the only one who can counsel or you're the only one who can run a meeting, Mm -hmm. you're you're just not going to have time to build in. And you're also going to be very focused just on your flock and not you know, not out helping some other relational situations, some gospel partnerships. You know, I wouldn't have time for Johnny. John wouldn't have time for me. Uh, we wouldn't have time to do this podcast because we're, we think we have to do everything. So right, that would be a big one, I think. Again, I'll go back to the intentionality thing. I think at some point, most parents, I'll use that metaphor first. Most parents just aren't real intentional with how they parent their kids. It just kind of happens. It's more a reaction to, I need to feed them. So what are we going to feed them? I need to clothe them. So how are we, what are we going to buy them? I need a house. So we get a house and there's not a whole lot of intentionality of thinking through, you know, Mm -hmm. where do we want to live? Why do we want to live here? What are we going to feed them? And so, you know, we'll stick anything down their throat or we'll put them in front of anything that'll occupy their time so that we can continue doing what we're doing as an adult. I'll be less cynical for a second, even if we're doing it for a good reason. It's it's not it's a whole lot of reacting. And I think most pastors just react to being in a in a tsunami of, of busyness that is most of it's good. It's not I'm not saying it's bad, but they're they just get busy with people in life and suffering and tragedies and and managing people and, and business and all these kind of things that are going on in their, in their church world that there's not a lot of intentionality to go, how am I going to live life in such a way that I get to be a Christian first? I get to be a follower of Christ first, which means I'm going to just, I'm going to figure out how to walk with other men and have time for 
my kids in such a way that I'm going to pour into them as much as I'm going to pour into the men of the church or whatever it is. And if you don't get real intentional about those things, it just doesn't happen. And I failed and sinned at that in a lot of ways that later on in life, it took some intentionality to step back and say, like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this with my wife in a way that's different than us just, you know, surviving or Mm -hmm. trying to help our kids get out of the house? And how are we going to do this in a way that's going to actually be a part of her sanctification process and mine as we do marriage and my mm-hmm. kids as we do parenting and other people around me as we do life together. And so that we're making disciples and get to see that they get to see that mm-hmm. sanctification can happen in your marriage intentionally, not just by accident because God is sanctifying. He's going to do it, but how do we join him in that process? And what does that look like to actually invite other people into that process as part of discipleship and all that. And so I'll just use that big word and say, there's got to be some intentionality. There's no one right way how to do that necessarily, but the wrong way to do it is just not to be intentional. Right. Yeah. Not to be intentional and not to make space or room in your life for that. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, we have just a few minutes left and John, I wanted to ask you about what you're doing to develop uh, leaders and new work in the urban areas. Could you speak a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah. So 20 years of uh, being a pastor and, and helping develop church planters and and trying to transition a church from one that was pretty, well, what's the word? Um, Gather-centric? Get, yeah, maybe. Just a lot less missional. <laughs> That's maybe a good way to say it. Um, and parts of it were definitely, you know, we sent a lot of people. It just wasn't always sending them on, on mission. It was sending them to help, you know, see people come to Christ and disciple them and everything became pretty quickly inward. Right. And so we sent a ton of people out, but it seemed like all of those people were being sent out to gather groups of people that then would get inward focused. Right. And so it wasn't both. And it wasn't like, how do we, while we're sending, how do we continue to send while people are making disciples. Right. And so that whole missional phrase we use that, that was definitely a trans, a transforming thing for our church 10 years into our process. So it started changing then how you do send church planters and people are going to get start orphanages across the world and everything else. And, and I would say this, that one of the things that happened to me was I recognized, uh, you know, 10, well, about seven years ago, that what God was calling me to in developing leaders was much bigger than just sending church planters. And I love that. I want to continue doing that. That's where my heart first lies. But I wanted, I didn't have the time or the bandwidth as a pastor to also develop other types of pastors or church, you know, uh, leaders or uh, people that are going to be sent across the sea to do different things or right into our own neighborhoods. And so that's kind of what God was doing in me and called me out of the full time lead pastoring deal to, to become a pastor, really focusing on, on leadership development. And so there's kind of two things that really right now are hard on my mind. And one is how do we, how do we do this in places where all of the blessings, I'll I'll use that word very carefully and strategically, all of the blessings that we have in, in some parts of this country aren't so apparent in other parts of our country. And so for example, when we send a church planter out of a uh, our church, I mean, it was there was never a thought whether that person could go raise money. As a matter of fact, it was one of our expectations: if you can't raise money, you can't plant a church. And so that's that's a it's a good thought to have. The only problem with that is sometimes if you're going to plant churches with guys 
that all of their friends don't have money and all the churches they came from yeah. don't have money, then, then how do they do that? Right. And so they didn't grow up in the suburbs or the yeah. middle birds or the, or places where they don't have that blessing, then how do they raise money? And not only yeah. how do they raise money, but then how do they keep it ongoing? Can they ever get a church in certain places in our country to a place where it becomes self-sustaining? Mm-hmm. We send, we send, you know, what we call foreign missionaries overseas and we don't expect them to raise money and then get there and get self-sustaining. Most of the time we don't. Yeah. Um, so we, we know that it's going to be a long-term sustaining of that missionary. We do that with, with parachurch things like Campus Crusade and, you know, Young Life and all those kind of things. We, those guys raise money forever. And yet when we ask somebody to plant a church in some very hard rural areas or very hard urban areas, we don't, we haven't thought through that. Yeah. And it's not just an economic deal. Some of it's just how do you make disciples of in certain situations where people have been really systemically brought under some bondage that is no different than meth or drugs or whatever, except this might be uh, poverty, right. you know, or different things like that. And so it's, there's, there's discipleship that happens in most churches that really is helping people uh, break away from a lot of acceptable sins, right. Yeah. <laughs> of pride and, and, and you lying and all those kind of things. And then there's that discipleship that we do that we call messy. And I don't think it's any less messy or more messy necessarily. It's just, it just can be harder and more long-term when we're helping people break away from drugs and poverty and, and socioeconomic systems they've been in their whole life. And so when you're talking about planting churches in those kind of places, uh, it, we can say it's harder uh, because planting a church anywhere is hard. It's just harder because of the economics of it, because the discipleship has to have a more holistic impact to, to affect people's lives and their lifestyles and how they've been mm. living. And so that's, that's a big heart of where, what God's called me into right now. And it's not the only thing, but a part of those things. And so partnering with men and women and guys that are doing that across our city is currently what I'm involved in. And, and again, from the standpoint of how do we send missionaries with the, you know, the second Corinthians five twenty idea that God is making his appeal through us. And that was, yeah. A, very free verse for me, right? That God is actually the Christ who walked this earth and, and did all that he did to live and die and walk and care for people and love them is the same Christ mm-hmm. that lives in us. And so now he's wanting to make that appeal through us. And so how do we help raise up men and women that are that are walking with that spirit of Christ who actually lives in us? He's wanting to make us appeal through us. So how do we get out of the way so he can do what he wants to do? while at the same time recognizing that in certain situations and certain settings, mm-hmm. it's going to be very difficult for them to do that without a whole lot of yeah. partnering going on. Man, I think that's so good and so powerful. And I think that that's really, honestly, uh, yeah, you don't need this affirmation from me, but the future of what needs to be happening with church planting in America. I feel like a lot of times we can only plant churches in places where we know there's going to be some money at the end or where there's going to be some you know, disciples that are going to be easy to get on board and that sort of thing. Or the only people that can plant churches are those that come from, yeah, wealthy networks, like family networks. And so, yeah, I just think that, yeah, there's so many hard, difficult places to reach uh, in our country. And that's so awesome. That's so cool. Right. That's why we planted Bangkok. I mean, we just... We saw we saw uh, missionaries going in, and and everybody loves to go to Chiang Mai and yeah, some places like that in in uh, in Thailand. But nobody wanted to plant Bangkok, mm-hmm. and we said, well, that's a hard place, but we'll take it on, we'll fund it, 
as long as we have to. And yeah, there's three churches there that weren't there before. Well, actually, two two new churches and one uh, replant. Right. That's happened because of that. And one of those churches is in a, a section of town that has a million people that there's never been a gospel church there before. You know, so right. So, so that's hard places. Yeah. But, but it, it stirred my soul that nobody wanted to go there. Right. It's hot and it's crowded and it's. <laughs> it's frustrating but um, yeah that's that's real that's the real deal there yeah so cool yeah that's so many spots and uh yeah so cool very good uh yeah thank you guys both for joining uh the podcast today this is uh it's been really helpful really insightful i've loved talking to you i've written down a bunch of things that i've learned from you guys (laughs) so yeah thanks so much for taking the time yeah, I appreciate it, Brad. Always good to spend time with you, Brad. It's good to rescue you from Jared. Yeah, exactly. I only have to spend a lot of time with Jared, so. <laughs> it's good. He, he and I actually had a phone call today, and we didn't even uh, record it. We both felt good about that. We're like, oh, we're like, we're like real friends right now. This is cool. <laughs> Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.